You're listening to the weekly partial podcast with Ari Goldwag, recorded with Hashem's never ending assistance in Ramap Beit Shemesh Israel 5781, 2020. This week's Parsha is Parsha Svayigash. We have the climax of the story of Yosef and his brothers. Yosef and Yehuda face off. Yehuda says, You can't take the son, this one son of Yaakov, of Jacob, my elderly father, Nafshay Kshurov and Nafshay. Their souls are bound. And then Yosef finally reveals himself and sends his brothers back to the land of Canaan in order to bring his father and his whole family to Egypt so that he can support them there and give them all of their needs. The Torah tells us that as Yaakov is informed of the fact that Yosef is the leader in Mitzrayim in Egypt, first he doesn't believe it, it's an unbelievable thing. Then he says, that's it, I gotta, I gotta go see him before I die. Yaakov was very old at that time, he was 130 years old. He would indeed live to be 147, but he knew he was, you know, he was old. So, the Torah tells us that he comes down, and that Yosef appears to him, that Yosef appears to his father, and they hug each other. And it's a great moment in their lives when they're reunited after 22 years of separation. Now, I'd like to share with you, usually I'm sharing with you Midrashim, and, uh, you know, I look through the Midrashim, and I, I'm always looking for something that's going to speak to me. And I didn't, this week I didn't find anything in the Midrash, but what I did find was a piece from Rebbe Shmulevitz in Sichas Musar, which inspires me. It's a very lofty level that he speaks about, but I think that we can all try at some level to incorporate the ideas that that he's, uh, that he's teaching, the ideals that are awesome. The Pasuk tells us that Yosef, he tied up his Merkava, his chariot, he went up to greet his father Yisrael, went towards Goshen, he appeared to him, and he fell on his neck. Pirish Rashi, Rashi explains, Yosef appeared to his father because it's not clear who's appearing to whom but Rashi tells us Yosef appears to his father we need to understand what do these words mean what does it mean that Yosef appeared to his father the fact that Yosef appeared to his father those, those words seem to be um, unnecessary words. Obviously, if they fell on each other's shoulders, obviously they appeared to each other. The Ramban over there explains this point. But Reb Chaim explains an amazing thing. We can we can understand that Yosef had not seen his father in twenty two years. He had a powerful desire to see his father. Chaim doesn't say this, but you know, when he was talking to his brothers, he kept asking about their father. Is your father still alive? First thing that he says after his revelation, Ani Yosef First thing he says is, "My father's still alive." Right? Clearly, Yosef had a very strong desire to see his father. Clearly, he cared about his father. He he was his father's favorite. 
It was his father's, the gem of his father's eye. He, he missed him so much. that we find that generally speaking, there's a concept that when a person has a relationship, feels a certain way towards another person, the feeling is often mutual. And we know that Yosef was beloved by his father higher than all of his other brothers. So certainly Yosef had that feeling towards his father as well, a reciprocal feeling. Another point is that Yaakov was his teacher. Besides for being his the father who loved him, he was also his teacher. Everything that Yaakov had learned from Shem and Eber, he had given over to Yosef. He certainly had a powerful desire to see his father. Says Reb Chaim, an amazing insight. Listen to this carefully, because it's so powerful and teaches us such an important lesson, an approach in life, a powerful approach in life. There was another motivation for Yosef to see his father. He certainly knew how much pain his father had been through, and the Avelus, the mourning that his father had experienced as a result for the 22 years that they were separated. He knew that he was his father's favorite son. He understood how great would be his father's pleasure and his desire to see him. What a joy! What a great joy Yaakov would experience when he would be rejoined Reunited with his son. Torah says explicitly how joyous Yaakov was when he saw Yosef. He said, How I can die now that I've seen your face. He was so moved. He was so joyous. He felt like he had everything he needed when he saw Yosef. Similar reaction of Yaakov when he indeed registered the fact that Yosef was really alive and that he was a leader in Egypt. Yisrael said, Yaakov Avinu said, Oh my goodness, my son Yosef is still alive. Let me go and see him before I die. His first thought. Just beautiful. Yosef, all he could say was asking about his father. Is my father still alive? All Yaakov could say is, let me please see Yosef. Let me see my son Yosef. We see the great desire, the great she'ifa, the aspiration of Yaakov to see his son. An amazing, powerful Yosef. This is what the verse means. He appeared to him. What does it mean? Rashi says, Yosef appeared to his father. This is to testify to an amazing, an amazing um, attribute of Yosef that 
although he had a powerful desire, an awesome desire to see his father, which of course is an absolutely kosher desire, a perfect, uh, a wonderful desire. He overcame his own desire, his own motivation to see his father. He had one thought in his mind when he, when he appeared to his father, when he came to greet his father, to appear to his father. His, what was going on in his mind? He was thinking, I just want my father to be happy that he sees me. Oh, Yosef is not involved in his own desire to see his father. Says Rukhaim, an amazing thing? No. He wanted his father to see him. That was his focus. This was his only aim. He didn't have any personal desire mixed in. He was able to control his motivation to the point that what was his focus, what was his desire, what was he doing at that moment? Because remember, whenever we do something, whatever we're doing, the motivation, the motivation is so important. In Yiddishkeit, it's not, it's not good enough, you know, the ends don't justify the means. The means have to be pure. The motives need to be pure. To the extent that we're able, of course. Right? This is a very lofty level we're speaking about here. But Reb Chaim is saying, Reb Chaim Shulavis is explaining that Yosef was able to purify his motivation to the point that his focus was just Vayera El Aviv. Vayera Elav, I'm sorry. He appeared to him. Yosef appeared to his father. His focus was just, I'm here to appear to my father. He wasn't involved in his own desire to, to see his father. His focus was just to give his father pleasure. The pleasure of seeing him. He says, we can understand this based on what we said in a different place. The amazing importance of the concept of performing actions in a more perfected way or a perfected way. There is a unique obligation that when we do the mitzvah, when we perform a commandment, that we do it with pure motivation. You know, it's very easy, and it's common, and it's normal, and it's even in sometimes desirable to do things to do things for the wrong reason. person wants to learn in order that he get respect. person wants to accomplish things in order that people show him honor. That's a good starting point, but that is not the end point. The end point is where we have grown up, where we have matured. And each one of us instinctively consents when someone else is doing something l'shma, when someone is doing it for a pure motivation, or when they're doing it for self-aggrandizement, when they're doing it for their own benefit, for their own honor. Says Reb Chaim, we have a special obligation that when we do a mitzvah, to do it perfectly, without having loy l'shma in it. We need to perform the commandment for the sake of heaven. 
To the extent that it's possible, and again, this is a high level, Chaim Shmulevitz is talking in the Yeshiva Smir, the 1970s, he was talking to people who were Bali uh, Madrega on a high level, Mavachim, uh, people who were seeking greatness and spirituality. But we can glean a little bit by listening to this shmuz, we can glean a little bit, perhaps for ourselves, of how we can be a little bit more L'Shem Shemayim, we can be a little bit more for the sake of heaven. So he says that when we do a mitzvah, it shouldn't be, you know, that we have personal benefit. We should try, as best as we can, to do it for God, to do it for God's sake, to do it L'Shem Says Reb Chaim, a scary thing. A person who performs a commandment, and he should be at a higher level. We're speaking about somebody who could be and should be at the level where he does it l'shma. So such a person, if he's if he doesn't do it l'shma, if he doesn't do it for the sake of heaven, but rather he does it for his own honor, for other people to to give him honor. He's night. It's called night He's taking something for himself, so such a person can receive a great punishment. And he brings an example. He says that we find that this was the great sin of Nadav and Aviu. That what had they done, the sons of Aaron, when they were at Harsina, when they were at Mount Sinai, and God revealed Himself to the Jewish people. So they saw a revelation of God, an open revelation of Hashem, and they ate and they drank. That's a pasuk in Exodus chapter twenty-four, verse eleven. And the idea here is, what was the sin? Their mistake was they missed the target. What was their avera that they were involved in a mitzvah? They were on this awesome elevated level where they saw a revelation of Hashem. But there was some aspect there of eating and drinking. They took for themselves, for their own personal benefit, in the wrong way. Even though indeed they were seeing Hashem, they had that awesome experience, and that's only something that's possible for somebody on a very exalted level. The result ultimately was that they were liable for death because they took something for themselves. Even though this very thing that they took for themselves was a spiritual benefit, they ate and drank. doesn't mean that they literally ate and drank, but rather it means that they had some kind of spiritual benefit which akin to what the body benefits from eating and drinking, they had a spiritual benefit to their soul when they saw God. But they took something for themselves. Even though it was indeed an eating and a drinking of a mitzvah, maybe it was like a sudas mitzvah. Therefore, they were punished. He brings other examples of this thing. But what I'd like to share with you is that it's very interesting because he goes through the evolution of Yosef himself, himself of Yosef at Tzadik, because here we are looking at him after the entire um, process that he went through, 17 years old, 
he brings, I don't know if I'm going to read it inside, but let's bring the idea outside that, that Yosef Atzadik, when he was 17 years old, he was sold and he was brought to the house of Potiphar. And in that house of Potiphar, so he was given tremendous power, he was given tremendous responsibility. And he felt on top of the world there. And the Medrash tells us, the Pasuk says, He was very good looking. And Rashi says, Since he saw himself as a leader there, he saw himself with power, he started eating and drinking and playing with his hair. Hashem said to him, Your father is mourning and you're playing with your hair? I am going to cause the bear to attack you. Who's the bear? Immediately after this, after Yosef's, let's call it, immature behavior of getting involved in eating and drinking and playing with his hair, the result was that he was that he was attacked by the bear, which was the Ashes Potiphar, the wife of Potiphar, and he was given a terrible Nisayan, a very difficult challenge, which he was able to overcome. But what was the problem? What was he doing? He had power. Hashem had given him power. Hashem had given him a certain talent, an ability, the ability to be in charge, to, to be a faithful servant, to be able to manage the household of Potiphar. But what did he do with it? He was Naitala Atma, he took something for himself from it. The result was Ishus Potiphar attacked him. The result was he ended up in jail. And what happens when he comes out of jail? And this is something that we've discussed previously, but Rabchaim Shemulevitz also speaks about it. What happens when he comes out of jail? Paro says to him, I've heard that you're able to explain dreams well, etc. Yosef says, Biladai. He's learned the lesson. He doesn't, he's not noitala atzmoi. That's the unique thing that Paro saw in Yosef, that Paro realized, this is a person that I can trust with power. This is a person that I can trust with being in charge here. Because he doesn't take it to himself. He's not interested in self-aggrandizement. He's not interested in the honor. He's not interested in, in taking credit for his own talent. He gives the credit where the credit is due, which is to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to God. So Yosef goes through this process, and ultimately, he grows through the process. He starts off being an immature 17-year-old, who's looking for honor, looking for what he can get out of it. And by the time he gets to the age of 39, it takes us, it takes us all, the, all the human beings, takes us time to, to develop. Really, by 30 already he had it. But in his interaction with his father, he was already 39. By that point, he already understood that the great Milo, the great advantage, the great spiritual accomplishment of not taking it for himself, not being involved in his own, his own desires, his own motivations, but, but being involved in pure motivations, in pure, in pure uh, Ritzinus, in involved in giving his father the Hanah. That's what he was involved. That's what he was thinking about. I'd like to read to you the, the end of this piece. This is a classic thing that the Bali Musar all speak about. 
which is not getting, not getting benefit, not enjoying the covet. Person gets honor. Person does a good thing. He does. He deserves the honor. Person gives tzedakah to a to a mice, to an organization. He gives a hundred thousand dollars to an organization. He deserves the honor. I once told a story about a certain great individual who was a tremendously wealthy individual who gave a lot of tzedakah to, to Moistus. And he did not want his name on the Moistus. He didn't want his name to be featured. And of course, I'm not coming to say that there's no there, that there, it's not appropriate. I'm, I'm just talking about a higher level that we can strive for. When a person benefits and enjoys the honor, he's taking something for himself. It takes away from it. And so too we find with Eliezer, the servant of Avraham. He says by, by, by Eliezer, the servant of Avraham Avinu, he was somebody who looked like his master. He looked very similar to Avraham Avinu, and he could have been confused for Avraham. The first thing that he says that is that there should not be any confusion. I don't want you to give me honor as if I am Avraham Avinu. I am not. I am the Evid. I'm the slave of Avram. You want to treat me in a certain way? Treat me correctly. Give honor where honor is due. When I give credit where credit is due. So, we need to be careful. So when a person is careful not to take too much from it, not to take too much, try to grab for himself that enjoyment of the honor, Besides the fact that the person gets away from a sin, he is on a very high level. This is the mida. This is the character trait of a king, a true king, a Jewish king. The trait of a Jewish king is when a person is not interested in taking for himself, he gives up the honor. He says, "Let the honor go to somebody else." Let the name of the building be inscribed on someone else's name. I'm not interested in the honor. He brings a proof from what we see by Boyaz. Boyaz was the great grandfather of David HaMelech, King David. And he brings what we said. We find by Yosef that he said, Biladai, it's not me. This is the idea. This was his way. This was his way, Yosef. He recognized that a true king is not interested in the honor. Contrast this with the leaders of the Western world. A true king is not interested in honor for himself. He wasn't interested in being given any credit for his talents. He was talented. He was amazing. He was able to interpret dreams. He was a spiritual person. He could channel... He could receive God's God's very, Ruach HaKadosh. He could understand a dream. Even within that statement was a statement that God is going to answer you through me. He didn't say the words through me. But clearly he had an incredible talent, an incredible ability. And, and Paro understood that. He said, now that Hashem has shown you this, so who could be more wise than you? But, but he didn't take the credit for himself. He wasn't interested. That's not what he was trying to say. He said explicitly, clearly, this is not my wisdom. This ability to say, it's not me. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. 
That's the power of Malchus. That's the power of kingship. This was Yosef's, the way that he conducted himself when he was second in command in Egypt. He never took any credit for himself. He was not interested in the honor. He was not interested because he understood that it's a deeper power, a deeper power, a deeper ability, a deeper show of greatness to not take the power to ourselves. Now, as I said from the beginning, this is a very high level, a very lofty level, but I think that it's something that we can all take to heart, that such a, first of all, such a level exists. And second of all, each and every one of us has opportunities to face off with such such a level, such a, such a, um, how shall we say, such a challenge in our Avedis Hashem, in our service of God. Sometimes we get honored. Sometimes it's a small thing. We're at the table, we say Advar Torah, our family likes it. Do we say it over B'Shem Amrai? Do we say it over from the person we heard it from? Or do we take credit for ourselves? What does it sound like? What is the implication? The, the, Sikhaz Musr, Reb Chaim Shmulevitz is teaching us that the ideal is don't take for ourselves. And when we, just like when we see somebody else who's humble and is not interested in their own honor, is not interested in making themselves great, even though they are great, even though they have the talent, when we see that, it's inspiring. It's inspiring. When we read a story about Yosef at Sadiq, we see what a great person he was. We can aspire to that at some small level. It might be a small thing. For example, I'll share with you that when I put out a, a video, I put out music, I want to see the numbers. I want to see how it's doing. I want to see, Baruch Hashem, people are watching this. Baruch Hashem, people are enjoying this. There's feedback. Yesterday, as I, after I read this, so I, I felt, you know, I can control myself from looking at my YouTube analytics for a little bit. Seeing how this video is doing, how that video is doing, how many views it has. I can control myself for a little bit and not look. I don't need to always be ta- taking for myself. It's enjoyable to see that people are enjoying it. And it's okay, it's human, it's normal, it's fine. But I can, I can back off a little bit. I can control it a little bit. So I want to bless you. And I ask you to bless me, Hashem should help us. That we should be able to learn from this amazing paragon of humility from Yosef Atzadik, from the way he interacted with his father, the way he interacted with Paro. Hashem should help us that we should be able to develop this ability. And indeed, I'm sure that each and every one of us will see how we benefit from it, from the humility, of the degree that we have this humility. Hashem should help us indeed to develop it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos. This podcast was made possible through the gracious donations of listeners like you. For more podcasts like this, please visit www.arigoldwag.com or search on iTunes. Ari Goldwag.